You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah, there's so much to get into as we get through. We're, we're reacting to so much from yesterday around the NFL. And obviously, we've got a bunch of Monday Night Football action to come up tonight. We'll get some experts on that. But the big news right now is sadness in Cincinnati as it looks like there's a torn ACL and MCL for quarterback Joe Burrow. Re- injuries that could take 9 to 12 months for recovery. This is a worst-case scenario for the Bengals, who have had such a great season to watch Burrow be who we thought he could be. And now it comes to the injury ending we all sort of dreaded behind that offensive line. We're going to get to the Raiders, by the way. I know you guys are all <laughs> wondering who, how who, Fitch just what, skimmed who? right over that. We're going to get to it. But you're right. This is probably the biggest story coming out of yesterday. And I think the worst part about it, Fitz, is whether it's fair or not, there are going to be fingers pointed at the Bengals as an organization and as that at that team for whether or not they put them in a place to succeed. It is inevitable in the NFL that the very best quarterbacks are almost always going to the very worst teams unless there's some weird, um, you know, luck uh, where a guy gets drafted late or somebody's got somebody else's draft picks. But for the most part, you're going to see the most talented guys on some pretty bad teams. And that, that you know, issue might come to the offensive line, which is something from the very first game that we saw Joe Burrow in. We all have been holding our breath and saying he's going to get killed behind that line. And unfortunately, uh, this makes it a little bit harder to swallow. We know injuries happen in this sport But the fact that there was this feeling of dread that this might happen, I think, makes it even tougher to take. Well, it should be noted they're also saying there's some structural damage in the left knee. So it's going to be a long recovery, and his uh, availability at the beginning of next season will be in question. You guys can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season's heating up. So is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. Sarah? You know, I can't read today because I might eh. still be drunk after last night. It yes, was it was not easy. I'm telling you, <laughs> I, you know, there there are moments. There are moments in, in games, and you you know this as a, as a fan, right? Like there's moments where you, you wake up on Sunday and you say, man, this one matters, and this one's going to be a big deal. And I didn't expect a lot because I was sort of I – was, I was gripping myself getting ready for the Raiders game all day. I was just sort of bracing for what was to come. And then the first drive of the game, the Raiders drive down and they get the beautiful touchdown, and I'm thinking this – this is going to go my way. And even in the second half, the Raiders have the ball up by three at the time. And I'm thinking they're about to make this a two-score game. Only to have Mahomes remind me that he's the best player in the league mm. and the Chiefs are the best team in the league. It ripped my heart out at the end of the game, Sarah. It, was, it wasn't easy to watch. And the only solace I can take from any of it is that I still believe the Raiders are not just good. I think they're a very good football team. And last night, they lost to what I think is the best team in the league. Agreed on all accounts, Uh, and especially in that you can enter a game with your sphincter engaged, certain that you are prepared for defeat, which you and I both chose the Chiefs, particularly because of the COVID issues and the the defense for the Raiders. Um, But once you're in the game, all bets are off, especially when your team is that close and playing that well. Once you're in it, you want it real bad. And it's almost like we've forgotten or we've become so accustomed to how great Patrick Mahomes is that that last drive I was like oh yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah that that checks out <laughs> like I wasn't even like wow that's amazing and and I did make a joke at your Raiders expense that you know Travis Kelsey easy to miss he, you know he's tiny guy hard to spot yeah <laughs> somehow he's got 20 yards on every side of him in the end zone I'm like something went wrong on that coverage but um but yeah we we and I saw Trey Wingo post this and it's so true as obvious as it sounds I just want everyone to really pay attention to what we're watching with Patrick Mahomes the amount that he has accomplished in 40 games of his career is unbelievable and when he does something like that the fact that we kind of shrug and go, yeah, that makes sense. While we're watching some of the ugliest quarterback play around in other places, uh, we we need to remind ourselves of the magic that we're witnessing. When the Chiefs got the ball with a minute 43, I uh, I texted one of my friends and said, my God, just hold them to a field goal. Because I felt like if the Raiders got the ball in overtime, they'd be able to do whatever they wanted. The offenses in this game, both of them were brilliant to watch. And they said it a lot in the broadcast. Uh, I can't say enough positive things about Derek Carr. You know that I've been mm. a Derek Carr fan. Uh, but but you look at what Derek Carr has accomplished in this offense and you see the numbers he's putting up. I think people are just realizing now when Derek Carr has good weapons around him, he can do great things. And that's a, that's what we're seeing. There's something that's clicked between Gruden and Carr. And it's I mean, it's just absolutely incredible to your well, point. though. And oh, funny, really quickly. 
quickly to think about the fact that when Gruden arrived, all of the talk was he doesn't like Carr and Carr will be out soon enough. And all he's done is prove to him, you're going to want to keep me around. Well, and you watch that game and I'm proud. Like I look at that moment and like as a Raiders fan, I've seen a lot of bad quarterback play. And frankly, I've seen a lot of people that weren't necessarily the easiest to root for at times. Like to have a quarterback that I I think – is not all of those things, you know. It, it's it's been fun to watch, and I watched it last night, thinking, man, the whole country is finally seeing what I mm-hmm. think Derek Carr's always been capable of. Now, the point that you make about Mahomes is an important one. Greeny earlier, Mike Greenberg talked about uh, the the MVP award specifically, and he made it clear that it really it's the Patrick Mahomes award at this point. The Kansas City Chiefs are the team to beat in the AFC for the next fifteen years because they have that kid. And I will say again what I said earlier this year. We take him for granted to the point that he won't even get serious consideration for MVP. We can't stop trying to figure out who else we can give the MVP award to. Because just to give it to Mahomes seems too obvious and too easy. But the reality is, it's also the right thing to do. So in the same way that Michael Jordan should have won a bunch more MVPs and LeBron James should have won a bunch more MVPs, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. So I will repeat what I said a few weeks ago. We should rename the MVP award the Patrick Mahomes Award and just give it to whoever is second and just acknowledge he's the guy from I, now until the foreseeable future. I'm going to go. go ahead and assume that he's being sarcastic there. I don't agree with actually naming the award after him, of course. but I do agree with his premise, and it's a unique one for football. He, he mentioned those examples in basketball because that's where we most often see it and because it's easiest in a sport where only five people are on a court at once to recognize someone who's transcendent. In football, it's so rare for someone to be repeating this kind of play over and over again and to be atop a whole bunch of other people in a sport with so many disparate positions and, and, and skill sets that it's especially impressive that Mahomes uh, is already at the point that we're like, oh, yeah, we're just used to that. Let's see if we could give it to Kyler Murray. <laughs> You're so right, though. I mean, and that is the scary part of it. I will say, this is just my my soapbox. You mentioned how open Kelsey was. Jonathan Abram was just victimized on that last play. <laughs> and for some reason, he decided it was a smart approach to run after Mahomes and leave Kelsey wide open. And the number of times Kelsey in that game was wide. They, they, the Raiders, everybody keeps saying that the Keyshawn I heard earlier, and everybody keeps saying that the Raiders are the best matchup for the Chiefs. I don't know that I'm buying it because the one thing that I can tell you is the Raiders have literally no one on that roster that can do anything to Travis Kelsey other than say, thank you, sir, we appreciate you at the end of the game. They While cannot looking cover up him. him. While yeah. looking up at him. And that was what we noticed most last night was the poor corners and safeties. Um, and I'm forgetting the name of the guy who really kept – was it Abram? Arnett. No, Arnett's Arnett. the, the little one that was just uh, – Arnett. Arnett was just getting abused. And every time they showed him next to each other, I'm like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> I, I mean, I was looking at the same thing. Like, I'm not actually blaming Arnett at that point. No, I'm like, looking at the defense saying, hey, I know you don't have a lot of options here, but, you know, maybe do something. Like, it was like you and Golik Jr. while you're filming your Cheez-It ads, your Cheez-It music <laughs> videos. I just I, I don't notice how small you are until you're right next to Gojo. And then I'm like, oh, he's a wee little man. Gonna, That's get, what I felt like watching Arnett with Kelsey. I, I'm going to tell you a true story. The first time Mike and I, when we went to, to Duke and we went to the Duke Carolina game and we were going there to see Zion, we did a couple of hits. And afterwards, some of our bosses came in and their feedback was, man, there's a really big height difference between you, <laughs> you two. And I'm like, on a box. <laughs> y'all just noticing this? Like, are you just noticing I'm 5'9"? Uh, this is why I read. I still, this is why I read. This is why I drink. Good Lord, I can't read. All right. Wow, your brain is broken you know, from the Raiders. It, they, they broke your brain. It, well, it's, it's just decades of fandom. All right, coming up, speaking <laughs> of broken brains, Dabo's brain might be broken. We're going to tell you some of the shocking things he said next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll have some guests in a little bit on Monday Night Football. They'll be with us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. And Sarah, 
you know, obviously the college football world was a little shocked on Saturday morning. This is a first. We've had cancellations, and for anyone that doesn't realize, 29% of the games in college football mm. over the course of the weekend were canceled due to COVID, or canceled or postponed. And now we are up to about 16% of the games overall that have been canceled. We've seen new highs every single week. But one of those games canceled on just hours of notice was Florida State taking on Clemson. And this comes because uh, Clemson traveled with somebody in their uh, on their plane and in their bus that had tested positive for COVID-19. Now, it raises uh, an argument from Dabo Sweeney, the Clemson head coach, who really had, he had harsh words. And Sarah, I want you to hear, this is exactly what Dabo had to say. Rather than speak for him, this is what Dabo said on his press conference about Florida State and their postponement. This game was not canceled because of COVID. COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. Mm. And to be honest with you, I don't think it has anything to do with their players. I have no doubt that their players wanted to play and would have played. And same with the coaches. To me, the Florida State administration forfeited the game. And if they want to play Clemson, in my opinion, they need to come to Clemson or they need to pay for all expenses. Other than that, there's no reason for us to play them. We were there, we were ready, and we met the standards. Hmm. Sarah, it's tough for me because when he says they met the standards, what Dabo's talking about is the NCAA standards for the limited, uh, as long as you have a certain number of offensive linemen, for example, your team can play. So his whole point is we had enough people that had not tested positive for COVID. It's not a big deal that one had. And I think that's dangerous because Florida Mm -hmm. State's got an obligation to keep their kids safe. And if they look at a situation and say, no, we're not going to play this because we don't believe it's safe. At no point will I fault the institution for protecting the kids that play football for free for them. Yeah, for all the cognitive dissonance that we have to have in order to allow sports in any form to be occurring right now, there are lines that still need to be drawn for how much we are willing to put profit above safety. And usually it's a lot easier to do that when you can turn a blind eye. You can't turn a blind eye when you understand the facts of a player traveling and participating when symptomatic. Now, I saw someone point out that there's a lot of Clemson fans trying to say that the kid didn't practice all week. But in a story on ESPN, Dabo said... The player, a backup offensive lineman, showed mild symptoms early in the week, Swinney said, but continued to test negative and was allowed to practice while also wearing masks and visors and maintaining required social distancing requirements away from competition. So he was practicing while symptomatic and then was supposedly not showing symptoms and was allowed to accompany the team, but then tested positive. We know that the predominant spread of this virus is from asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic people. And we also know that you can have symptoms. They can go away. They can come back. There are people who I know someone personally who was on the last day of as long as you're still good today, then technically you're done with the stretch and you can get back out into the world. She got so much worse on the last day that she was hospitalized for several weeks after feeling great for four days and thinking it was gone. So the absurdity of what Dabo is saying here and the the. The intentionality of the of the actions that they took, understanding that this player was symptomatic, is what's so frustrating because that's how you end up with, to your point, 30% of games canceled is when the protocols aren't being adhered to. And I love the fact that Mike Norvell was saying specifically, football coaches are not doctors. Some of us might think we are, but there's a reason why medical advisors make decisions based on the information provided. That's it right there. The the concerning thing to me about it is uh, the message it sends, because now you put if you put schools in a situation where they think they're going to be held financially liable for not having kids play. Now you you add another factor to why they choose not to play a game that in and of itself is dangerous. And I think there's also a lack of understanding, like Andrea Adelson wrote a great article on ESPN.com a couple of days ago, outlining the failings of Florida State and how the program has become in some ways irrelevant. And one of the main stresses she had in that article were financial difficulties that the school faces and why they need to play games with as many people in the crowd as possible because they are facing financial issues. In fact, they've lost over 4,000 of their boosters in the last year because of COVID reasons that people that are no longer in a position to donate to the program. So the thought that Florida State would now start weighing finances when they're in a financial issue already Mm -hmm. as part of the decision is the last thing I want because then all of a sudden it's no longer about health and safety of the kids. And we can sort of negotiate 
this however we want, Sarah, but at some point it has to be about the health and safety of the kids. If it's not, if it becomes about saving cash for Florida State, that's a dangerous precedent to set across the board. There's no benefit for Florida State to cancel this game other than health and safety. Who cares if they get their butts whooped? That's just part of it. They need the money. And that's expected. Yeah. And that's expected. This isn't a game that's going to decide how people feel about this season. If they lost to Clemson and they got their butt whooped, we'd all say, yeah, that checks out. I think it's incredibly disrespectful of, of Dabo to to single out the players then. And so essentially to point the finger either at coaches or administration there. Um, to me, if I were a, a part of the people making those decisions for the safety of my players, I would be particularly infuriated by this guy who, by the way, since the middle of the summer, we have been parsing the words of Dabo Sweeney and talking about whether this guy should be in any sort of leadership position whatsoever when it comes to civil unrest and issues of racism, when it comes to now COVID. I get it. You're winning a lot of games. You're making a lot of money, and this will never result. My feelings and anybody else's feelings on Dabo are not going to change anything. He's going to be in that position and making a ton of money for a long time. But, man, if I was a parent and I was sending my kid to this school where he keeps putting his foot in his mouth, and I guess putting your foot in your mouth maybe is, is implies that it's accidental. I think he's being honest and telling us who he is, and we're making excuses to not see it. Well, and, and certainly Dabo has never made any uh, bones about being a man of tremendous faith. I would... Uh, I would ask the the question of, of, you know, frankly, if this entire administration sat down and prayed about the same decision, would he have the same harsh words for it? I mean, at some point, it's up to a coach to turn around and trust the medical doctors that they have, the people that are actually qualified to know. And I will never, whether it's Clemson, whether it's Alabama, it doesn't matter the team. I will never fault a team for stepping up and saying, you know what? We're just not comfortable putting our mm-hmm. kids at this level of risk. And that's part of what it, we live in a world where kids were told they could opt out if that was what was best for them. Schools need to have the comfort of making the right decision for the kids that are playing the sport. That If they lose that, then we lose any sort of integrity that could be left at saving these kids and saving, hopefully, their lives through part of the process. Yeah, and listen, we have what's probably a rise in cases, in part because of Halloween. We know that there can be incubation, and this this is only going to get worse. Yeah, you're right. It's only going to get worse. And uh, I will quickly update everybody in case people didn't see it. Uh, generally, uh, Bill Hancock, the executive director of the College Football Playoff Committee, uh, made it clear last week that nothing is set in stone. He was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. But uh, it, it's important to note that the college football playoff still has no idea what's going on, how it's going to go on. They have no idea how they will get games scheduled if this happens on a game day in the playoff. They have not determined whether they'll let the five seed in or whether they'll postpone a game or, or whether they'll just cancel. I the, the most stunning part of this is that the college football community, Sarah, has no idea what's coming or how it's coming. And without any of those direct answers, I don't know how we can expect college football to make it through this season with any confidence. Completely agree. Like I was saying, uh, uh, Halloween, now you're going to have Thanksgiving. Now you're going to have small groups of people who decide it doesn't apply to them. You've got two-week incubation periods. So maybe they even get tested and feel good about it, but they don't realize that they're carrying it. Then we get into the, more of the holidays. You know, To me, it just feels an untenable situation that we're nearing sort of the peak of, and we're going to really start to see what people value. We've always known it's money and profits, but to what end and at what point are you so exposed for being single-minded in your focus and not prioritizing students that you eventually have to just uh, call it off or at least start to make some serious changes? And the funny thing is, I should remind everybody, college basketball starts in just a couple of days. There's your good laugh Get for you. Get that paycheck, Fitz. Woo! <laughs> Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on your smart speaker, just say play ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain with you. Fitz will be back, but uh, we got some news on Spain and Fitz Nation. Asom, we all know Asom, he's always hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. He said, is this a show where Fitz leaves and you allow him back? Yes, that's correct. It's a Monday, so Fitz comes, he goes, he comes back. And he's lucky that every week I let him back on the show. In the meantime, NFL analyst Dan Graziano joins us to help fill the void of Fitz being gone. Uh, We'll save the Raiders talk for him, but let's get into some of the other Week 11 games. 
Tua being benched. Now, this to me felt yeah. like uh, an injury scare, and then they could have put him back in. What did you make of the decision to have Fitzpatrick close the game? I think Brian Flores knows how to coach his team and his players, and I think, you know, this is – it's not – it's not unprecedented and it's not outrageous to have, if you have a young quarterback that you've made the starter and he's struggling a little bit to, to pull him out and say, all right, man, you're done for today. We'll have Fitzpatrick put the car in the garage and, and then we'll go back and, and get to work on it again next week. I mean, that that's not a terrible idea. And Flores um, has the trust of his players and he has a great backup situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who we know was disappointed when they made the move, but we also know knows his role as someone who's in charge of helping develop Tua and uh, fill in as needed. So they're in a good spot. I, I don't think this is a situation where, you know, Tua loses the respect of his teammates for being benched or anything like that. I think this is a situation where Flores is coaching his team based on what he thinks his team and his players need at the given moment and not worrying about how it's going to look on the outside. Well, quickly, before we move on, did you think that was the correct response to how Tua was playing? Um, I'm watching a bunch of games at the same time. I was yeah. in Indianapolis covering that game, so I don't, I don't feel qualified to, uh, okay, that's to, fair. Uh, to pass judgment on how Tua was playing, but um, – Again, I just think this is you know this is part of the young player's development, and, and I don't think it's um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. On the other side of the benching conversation, Doug Peterson says he couldn't bench Wentz because it would send the wrong message to his team. <laughs> Do you agree with that? Well, yeah. Look, I mean, if you bench Tua, you're putting in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who you won games with late last year and early this year. If you bench Wentz, you're putting in Jalen Hurts, who's never started a game in the NFL, you know, who's been in on some gadget plays. We really don't know if he's ready. I mean, Doug Peterson probably does know if he's ready uh, better than we do. So I think it's a different situation. And look, I mean, Wentz is the guy, right? He's signed, he's signed for years. They cannot get out of that contract until probably 2022 or 2023. If they can't turn it around with Wentz, then they're all out of a job. So, like, they've got to continue to run him out there and try and, and, and make it better. And, and I think they, they truly do believe they can, uh, that, you know, he has the ability to turn it around. But, but it is a mess right now. And I just, yeah, I, I think Peterson just feels like he'd be doing more harm than good making a move like that right now because you're going to the inexperienced guy at a time when, you know, you're in first place, believe it or not, and, um, and need to win games. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. ESPN NFL analyst Dan Graziano here with me, Sarah Spain. That Colts win. We've obviously seen that defense be great, but I was surprised to see them take down a very good Packers team that came down to the very last play. But just how good is this Colts team? Yeah, they're good. Look, they gave up 28 points in the first half. They were down 28-14 at the half, and then they came out a totally different defense in the second half and came within a few seconds of shutting them out in the second half. Packers kicked that field goal to tie the game right at the end of regulation. So that defense clamped down. Um, they, they believe they're good. They don't, you know, what happened in the first half yesterday was more surprising to them than what happened in the second half. Uh, you know, Rivers is playing pretty well. They really like what they have going in the run game. I know, and Reich talked about this today and joked about it, fantasy football players don't like it because you don't know from one week to the next who the running back's going to be. And, and I talked to Naeem Hines last week in my prep for the game. He said they don't know either. Now, like That game against Tennessee two weeks ago, after the first two drives, he was running well. It was working. The coaches said, all right, you know, we'll, we're going to keep leaning on you tonight. And then yesterday it was Jonathan Taylor. So they really feel like they have – a diverse group, a veteran leader at quarterback, a, a great offensive line, and they believe the best defense in the league. So, you know, we'll see. Ask me again in a week after they play Tennessee uh, for, you know, the second time in three weeks, and, and uh, the winner will be in first place. But uh, they're, they, they think they're legit. Dan Graziano with us here on Spain and Fitz. Speaking of Tennessee, I also had that one wrong because to me it felt like the struggles that Tennessee has had to get to the quarterback left a good opportunity for Lamar Jackson to get back yeah. to the guy that we are so impressed by and thought it would be close, but I thought the Ravens would take this one. What are you seeing from Baltimore? And, and is this not a team that we should be considering in, in the tops of the league top tier? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think we should anymore. I think they're just – it doesn't look like it's going to come together on offense because look at what they're missing, right? They're down – they're down uh, – uh, End, right? They're down two starting offensive linemen, and not just any two, but Marshall Yander retired and, and uh, Ronnie Stanley got hurt. Those are two guys that are pretty important to what they do as a team that likes to run the ball and run it a lot. Mark Ingram doesn't look like his old self. Uh, they're leaning on a rookie, and he looks great, Dobbins, but he is a rookie. So it just doesn't look like it's all come together. And, and I think without the threat of that dominant running game, then what the, their weaknesses are downfield are exposed, right? They don't have uh, a dominant wide receiver that can win one-on-one matchups consistently. Obviously, Hollywood Brown can run past people, but, um, you know, if you don't have the time to get it to him, uh, that's not going to help. So, yeah, they, I, I just think they're a little short. I, I think they're yeah, – not that they can't come back. They have – after they play Pittsburgh on Thursday, I think our FPI has them with the easiest remaining schedule – even with the Pittsburgh game factored in. So they obviously have a chance to win some games down the stretch. But in terms of looking like last year when they were just rolling through people and they were 14-2 and two and Lamar was MVP, I, I don't think that's coming back in 2020. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and on your smart speaker, just say play ESPN Radio. Talking to Dan Graziano about week 11 in the NFL I've turned this segment into things I was wrong about, so why not just continue with that? I thought the Taysom Hill stuff was a ploy by Sean Payton to cause the Falcons to get ready for the wrong guy, maybe make them spend their time getting ready for both. I said we were going to see a lot of Jameis Winston. (laughs) Welp, what did you see from Taysom Hill, and and how reasonable is it to expect that he can keep the Saints uh, playing great football uh, until Breeze returns? Yeah, it's funny. We're, we're just all going to doubt it all, the whole time. And Peyton's just sitting there chuckling because he, what he saw yesterday proved him right. So, yeah. like, I was even thinking, see, they play the Falcons again in two weeks. So I was thinking, oh, he's crazy like a fox. He'll start Hill in week 11. Then he'll start Jameis in week 13. And it'll be totally different. The Falcons won't know how to prepare. But I don't know. I, I think he really likes Taysom Hill. I mean, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He talked all offseason when Breeze was going back and forth and pondering retirement. Peyton was at the Combine in Indianapolis telling people, I can, mm-hmm. I can design an offense around Taysom Hill. He's ready. And he believes it, and he backed it up, and they won the game. And right now they're, they look like they can do no wrong. And, and I think at this point, I think we just have to trust Sean Payton. And uh, if, he, if he thinks Taysom Hill can do it, I think until it's proven otherwise, I think we have to believe him. But he's obviously very creative uh, and, and, and very smart when it comes to designing an offense and calling plays. And he knew what he was doing yesterday, how to maximize Taysom Hill's strengths, uh, and he did it, and he did a great job with it. Now we just need to figure out those jump balls on the deep passes. That th- those are uh, terrifying for the entirety of their time in the air when Taysom Hill chucks right. it up there. Uh, Which, thanks for you know, there's enough time to go get a snack, exactly. like right. When, uh, when exactly. So, yeah, it's like whatever that game was back in the day, in. 21 or whatever, yeah. where you're just all in a big bunch <laughs> jumping for it. Uh, Dan Graziano, you can hear him more from him with uh, Pablo Torre on today's ESPN Daily. Thanks for the insight, Dan. Thanks, Sarah. ESPN NFL analyst Dan Graziano brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. Fitz will be back and we'll do some good take or hot take. Also, an interesting note about tonight's Monday Night Football that I saw. Uh, The crew tonight will be the first in league uh, history with an all-African-American officiating crew. And I think they chose this game on purpose because of Tampa Bay's diversity, because of the Rams uh, being the first NFL team to reintegrate in 1946. So something to keep an eye on tonight, a cool milestone for them. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Monday. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. And on your smart speaker, just say play ESPN Radio. We got some news from Spain and Fitz Nation, in fact, at Joe 2016 WS, I think you might be a Cubs fan, 2016 World Series, only the greatest World Series of all time. He hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, I 100% didn't know I could get your show until on a lark. I told Alexa to play it. I'm happy to say I'm listening now. Well, what's up, Joe? I'm glad you could get the show. And like I said, just say that to your smart speaker. Play Spain and Fitz. Play ESPN Radio. It's good stuff. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Fitz will be back any minute to get into our Good Take Hot Take segment, which is where we listen to some of the voices from uh, coaches, players, analysts after the weekend of NFL football and try to figure out if what they're saying is a good take or a hot take. 
And uh, I- I'm going to start out with Frank Gore, the, the Jets running back in his postgame presser. And earlier in the year, I can't remember, I think it was KJ and Z, take, took a look at the schedule for the Jets and tried to figure out when they might get their first game. And I think they had it before week 11. I, th- I think they thought there might be a chance. And yet here we are, still winless Jets. Here's what Frank Gore, who's still in the league, had to say about that. We think about that every day. You know, we got to get one. You know, you don't want to go on 16, and especially, you know, like I'm saying, especially this might be my last year. I can't go out like that, you know? Um, so we just going to keep working as a team, you know, um, and hopefully we can just try to get one, man. And I can't wait till we get it. You know, I'd be so happy. Cause, uh, you know, if it is my last year, you know, I can't say I'm going out on 16, you know? So Fitz, the hot take isn't what Frank Gore had to say. I think we can all agree you cannot go 0-16 and you cannot finish a celebrated and decorated NFL career on an 0-16 team. The hot take would be mine or good take, you tell me, that there should be nothing more important to the Jets in terms of getting a win than making sure Frank Gore doesn't go out over. I like that take, actually. I mean... But yeah, that's a good take. I mean, I know everybody's going to say, but Trevor Lawrence, but Trevor Lawrence. But there's also some, I, I think it's undervalued what happens culturally when you go 0-16. I mean, I just that that is such a damning thing for a team to have to go through. And they will come back over and, and over and over again. And, You'll hear about it forever. And, and everybody that's a part of it will have it sort of ingrained in their psyche of what they've been through. And, you know, the fact is, also, it's a gauntlet down the stretch. And I keep, I always go back to the Dolphins last year. Remember, there was a spot last year where we thought the Dolphins were going to tank and be terrible. And then they were competitive. And they were able to sort of get that to snowball into something. Now, I know that they're a better team. They were a better team last year than the Jets are this year. But at some point, you got to be playing for something. You've got to mm-hmm. have some level of... And if it's Frank Gore, that's a good enough reason for me. That guy deserves better. That's for sure. Uh, We just talked to, I just talked to uh, Dan Graziano about the Ravens and just not being in the top tier of teams anymore. We have to accept that Lamar Jackson doesn't look the same and the team doesn't look the same. Well, Greeny took it a step further today on Greeny. He said this. That was a disgraceful showing yesterday. And their offense is terrible. So I will count them for you right now. You tell me who you like better in the AFC. Kansas City or Baltimore? Easy. Vegas or Baltimore? Easy. Buffalo or Baltimore? To me, that's Buffalo. Pittsburgh or Baltimore? Easy. Colts or Baltimore? Colts. And then Tennessee, which proved they could beat them in the playoffs in their building yesterday and then proved it last year and then proved it again yesterday. The Baltimore Ravens are at best the seventh best team in the AFC. All right, Fitz. Good take or hot take? It's a good take. And I think the Ravens are going to end up on the outside looking in for the playoffs. Uh, And it's surprising because I thought so highly of them coming in, but it it has not gone the way anyone anticipated. And obviously, uh, Greeny's right. I mean, they are very predictable, which they always have been, but now they're predictable and everybody seems to know how to shut it down. So, uh, And and I'm not putting that on Lamar Jackson. There just aren't enough weapons around him. Uh, There's problems with the way the offense is schemed out. Absolutely. I think that they have fallen out of playoff contention, rightfully so because the rest of those teams are better. Yeah, I agree. And it's been tough. I think we cling to and hang on to our expectations, especially for a team that was so good last year and didn't lose enough pieces for us to think it would drop this much. But a lot of other teams got better. And in some ways, they have been figured out. If they can't run the ball, um, Lamar Jackson is not a bad passing quarterback. Some are a little too extreme in that take. But they just aren't a team that can succeed if the run game isn't, isn't scaring you. At Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, doing a little good take or hot take. Carson Palmer, former NFL QB, former quarterback whose house was TP'd by me years ago when he went to USC. And then he put Seriously? a mouse in his, in his... Yeah, we've talked about this. Remember, we're playing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Truth or Dare, and we made him put the family's pet mouse in his mouth, and then he went to sleep, and then we tattooed, t- uh, TP'd the house on the way out. One of my friends from Cornell was one of his best friends growing up. Anyway, you've heard this story before. He was on KJ and Z and said this about Joe Burrow's major knee injury. Well, the first thing I thought was it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, they're they're a two-win team. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not winning the Super Bowl this year. Joe was getting the absolute lung beat out of him every week. I mean, you go back to the, the Pittsburgh game a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks before that against Baltimore. He was just getting hammered up and down the field. So 
you know, unfortunately it's, it's a knee injury, but, um, I, you know, for him, for the rest of his body, not to take the wear and tear of the next five or six weeks, the way he was taking it the first seven or eight weeks, I think it's a blessing in disguise. He, you know, he, he, uh, now he has some time to, to let his body heal up, get his knee right. They'll have a higher draft pick and, and start all over again next season and, and hopefully have a better team around them. So I know you're going to hear blessing in disguise and react terribly when it's an injury like that, but the overall point, good take or hot take? I still think it's a hot take, and uh, I, I get where Carson Palmer's coming from, but Joe Burrow is still learning how to be an NFL quarterback. I, I just believe reps matter, and also there are young offensive weapons uh, on that Bengals team too, like getting timing, getting confidence, coming together. I know that Joe's never lacked that, but uh, there's been some disconnects at time if you look at the play calling this year for Zach Taylor and that offense. I, I think every opportunity they had to go in and actually get live game reps to get each other figured out is only helpful, and, and obviously I'm presuming when Carson said that he didn't realize the extent of the injury that it's going to last so deep into what could last so deep into next year. But if I'm if I'm a quarterback at this point, what I want are reps, and, and that's what Joe's not going to get. So I still think it's a hot take. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I do see the point he's making, but I think that sort of amorphous, the rest of his body will be better because of this, doesn't offset the potential long-term effects of this injury. And again, those reps that he's missing, even on a bad team. Um, although I think it's nice to find a, a positive spin on it right nice to find a little silver lining for a horrible day for for Bengals fans and for Joe Burrow it's Spain and Fitz finally Doug Peterson the Eagles head coach said this about why he doesn't want to bench Carson Wentz if you get to that spot whether you 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 don't start him or you you bench I I think you're you're sending a wrong message to your football team that the season's over and and um that's a that's a bad message and and um you know we have to we have to work through this times you know when, when when times get tough it's you know, sometimes that might be the easy thing to do. And, and um, this business is about work. This business is about, you know, detailing, having ownership. Right. So he had some more to say, but it kind of droned on and was uh, repeating the same thing, which is basically it would be letting the team know that they weren't in it to win it if they benched wins. Is that a good take or a hot take? I think it's a good take, but I'll also say, Sarah, and, and I'll go with good take, all of this is a question now because of what they chose as an organization to do in the draft. If they don't draft Jalen Hurts in the second round, nobody's talking about getting rid of Carson Wentz. I mean, the the thing of it is that seed was planted when the Eagles used a high draft pick on a quarterback that was highly regarded. So a uh, second round pick is still high enough to, to create the question. So he's answering the questions because of the, the Eagles' own work. But I, I do agree with him that if they turn around and go to the young quarterback, then what they've told everybody is that they're building for next year and not playing for anything this year. And they're still technically in first place in their division so I think he's right yeah I disagree with you here I think there is an opportunity potentially bench him for a short time to make a point with that with the possibility of returning I think it gets messy and it gets a little drama but you got to do something because this isn't good enough and even if they do lead the way they're going to get bounced into next February in whatever game they're in um, if, if they make the playoffs. So to me, um, there's an opportunity to be a, a, a little bit more forceful in, in making Wentz wake up. Um, and also I think he's, he's gotten, he's gotten so scared and he's so doubtful of himself. Somehow a benching, I think might be the thing that clicks versus making it even worse. And I know that sounds counterproductive, but there's something about the severity of it that maybe wakes him up a little bit. The worst take uh, of the day actually came from Jason Fitz. We'll get into that okay, uh, later in the show. He chose, the completely inexplicable number one answer for best Thanksgiving side. We'll tell you what that is. And your team might get 10 wins and miss the playoffs. We'll get into that next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. What if I told you that winning 10 games doesn't necessarily mean your favorite team's going to get into the playoffs in the AFC? I think it's real. And it's going to be heartbreak for fan bases all over the NFL. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80, and your smart speaker. Just say, play ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and Sarah, let's get to some straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. As I was watching my beloved Raiders in a game last night that I fully expected them to lose, you know that. But as I was watching it, they kept talking during the broadcast about how many teams are six and uh, were going into the weekend were six and three. So I got to looking at the schedule, and it's actually alarming. Right now, if the playoffs started today, the seventh seed, the final seed, presuming that they don't do any more expansion because of canceled games, the final seed in the AFC would be the Raiders at 6-4 and four because of tiebreakers. 
they are tied at six and four with the Ravens and the Dolphins, both six and four teams that will would if the playoffs started today miss out. And so I started looking at the schedule. And when you start actually playing the schedule game moving forward, there are enough easy games, not hard games, easy games on these team schedules moving forward that there's a real chance that a 10-win team loses by tiebreaker and doesn't make the playoffs at all in an expanded AFC playoffs. Yeah, it's wild. Meanwhile, <laughs> on the NFC side, you look at this you look at the standings and like right in the middle of it all at number 4 is the Eagles at 3-6 and 1. This is like above a 7 and 3 Bucks team because uh that's how it works. Oh but my god. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's wild. I mean, right now the Bears are still in it at 5 and 5. Uh, and the Minnesota Vikings are sitting at number nine at four and six. It's wild to look at the the two sides. Um, meanwhile, yeah, on, on the AFC side, you've got the you know Raiders, Ravens, Dolphins all sitting at six and four. And um, you anticipate fits that will get some of those times. You look at a schedule and you say these are easy games, these are easy wins, and then you and then the game comes up and you're like, how the hell did they blow that? No, yeah. uh, so that's still a possibility, but it is an interesting idea that you would have this expanded year and that there would be so many trash teams that the that the front runners and the heavy hitters are all bulked up at the top trading wins amongst each other. Well, and you look at the Browns, for example. The Browns right now sit at 7-3. and three. Oh, The, the Browns so are a, a game ahead of the Raiders, but the Raiders <laughs> won head-to-head. The Browns still have to, at 7-3, and three, the Browns still have to play the Titans. They still have to play the Ravens. They still have to play the Steelers. So those are three very tough games for them. So it's easy to find 10-6 and six for uh, the Browns. You know, conversely, the Raiders have the easiest schedule for the remainder of the NFL season at this point. So you're right. You never know what's going to happen. But it's, it's pretty easy for me to find a way for the Browns and Raiders to end up with the same record at the end of the year. Raiders have the tiebreaker. That's what's going to happen as this goes. And how 2020 would it be for Cleveland to finally get to the point where you make the playoffs, but yet... You don't in an expanded yeah. year where we were worried that by expanding a bad team would make it in. It turns out that winning a division is the reason a bad team can make it in. And the wild card is actually going to be necessary in the AFC particularly. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be the most Browns and the most 2020 thing ever uh, to have this this really big success to cheer for and yet still have it end in disappointment. Also, the fact that the Eagles, as I mentioned, could get in with just a terrible losing record when the 2014 Philadelphia Eagles notably had 10 wins and and didn't make it. They were 10 and 6 um and they they didn't make the playoffs. Um so it's just kind of wild to look back at some of those uh teams in the past that have managed to get to 10 wins and not not been in in the postseason when when you also have years where it feels like you can't scrape together enough good teams to fill out the full standings. Well, and the one thing that I think is encouraging to me, what I want from a playoff team, and this includes my favorite team, I want my favorite team to get there in some way where they earned it. You know, that that's just mm-hmm. sort of the feeling that we want. And when you look at some of these teams that are compactly, uh, they're, they're compacted together, like the Raiders will play the Colts. The Raiders will play the Dolphins before the season is up. Those are their two toughest games remaining. But those are two teams that are right now packed right in with them. So there's an opportunity for teams like that to earn their way into the playoffs. But it's also part of the conversation for the Dolphins and why I think their loss to the Broncos was so significant because they do have tough games. They have the Chiefs left on the schedule, the Raiders left on the schedule, the Bills left on the schedule, and the Patriots who you never know at this point. So uh, the, the it's it's difficult. And you're right. If we had played the schedule game a week ago, I think a lot of people would have looked at the Patriots, for example, and mm-hmm. said, oh, I'm not sure. And then we see the Patriots lay, I think, the final egg, the, the nail in the coffin egg for a lot of us that have been waiting for them to sort of undertake her and rise up only to realize mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe the Patriots are just left for dead this year. Or, or I mean, I, I had the Dolphins beating the Broncos, right? I did not think the Dolphins were going to look like that. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, there's always surprises. So there's no guarantees. But I think it's an interesting thesis that you posit because it, it is we always think of that 10 wins as sort of the mark for a playoff team at the very least. Um, and, and I'm looking up and I'm seeing in history uh, this this 49ers team, which is just incredible. The 1991 49ers team were 10-6. and six. They won their last six games, so they were on a roll. They outscored their opponents by a combined 154 points. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> and they didn't make the playoffs? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, my God. They had Jerry Rice, John Taylor. They had the number four defense. Uh, this was a team that probably would have been even better, but Joe Montana missed the season and Steve Young was out for six games. So they didn't have, you know, they didn't have what, what, what would have been their very best. But still, 10 and 6, outscoring opponents by 154 points. And the reason they didn't make it was because of a Falcons Hail Mary. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, what a season. So uh, I guess we'll have to send along some of the highlights from that year to whichever team, if there is one, uh, ends up not being able to make the cut this year. Well, and it's funny as long as it's not the Raiders. I will, t- <laughs> I will tell yeah, you. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You the, think it's real yeah, funny when it's yeah. the Browns. but <laughs> Not when it's the Raiders. You know, this year has gone awry for so many of us in so many ways. But there was a scheduling opportunity for me to be at the first ever Raiders game in oh. Vegas, right? There, Then the week after they played in New England, right up the road from where I spent most of my time in Connecticut. They're playing in Thanksgiving weekend uh, in, in Atlanta, so I could have gone back to Nashville and then driven down to the game. But of all the games I won't be able to go to, it is the Raiders-Jets game at MetLife because last year, we weren't together last year, when I went down to MetLife and I was head-to-toe in my Raiders gear, right? And I was sitting, uh, I was lucky enough to be sitting in this ESPN suite, right? And one of the bosses for our company, he was there, and his son, who was about 10 years old, was uh, sitting in front of us. And he spent the whole game just trash-talking me to a level I have never been trash-talked <laughs> by a child. But he was the child, like he's the, the kid of one of our bosses, so I can't say anything. Oh, man. So the whole time, every time Derek Carr missed a pass, he would turn around and remind me that I stink as much as my favorite team does. And I wow. couldn't say anything about it. I have been waiting a year for my vengeance on a child, Sarah, and now I can't get it. Like nobody's no, I can't get it. Nobody's going to be there. I can't get it. Uh, take it out on Jeff Passon's kid. That's what I do. I just take everybody's kids that bother me. I just inflict that pain on Jeff Passon's kid in fantasy. Uh, quickly, speaking of you were just mentioning Thanksgiving, your digital Monday night football show that you always cheat on me with on Monday nights uh, involved a top Thanksgiving sides uh, countdown. And your top side was gravy, which, you know, is Hot a take. condiment and not a side. So I'm going to go ahead and put it up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Is gravy a side or a condiment? To me, a mashed potato is a side. A stuffing is a side. Then you put the gravy on top of those sides as a condiment. So that might be your worst take ever, and that includes every other food take you've had, which are all terrible. That's straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. When we come back, I'll tell Sarah why she's wrong. Plus, Tua <laughs> was Benson's first loss, COVID cases all over the league. We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. <laughs> God, oh, I Spain about and this Fitz. This year. I'm so excited it's back. I got to find this this. Video. I was not ready for this. It's Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel lady, and your smart speakers. Just tell them to play ESPN Radio. Great job uh, by the staff on the show putting that together. This is well done. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests appear on the Shell Penzo performance line. Uh, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and we'll get to to all the big news you need on COVID and Tua. uh, But first, I want to respond to Gravygate. uh, As on the (laughs) digital Monday Night Football (laughs) show, I listed gravy as my number one Thanksgiving side. Sarah has said it's not a side, it's condiment. I will say this. Everyone agrees. Well, so far, 77% of people agree because everybody knows that it needs to be edible on its own in order to be a side. And y'all crazy if you're just. Down in gravy like a beverage. Okay, well, a couple of things here on this. Number one, uh, uh, the, you're you're basing that on Twitter. <laughs> we all know Twitter. No, no, no. <laughs> it's what I already said, uh, okay. which is that it's a condiment that you put on other sides, not a side on it. No, but but the poll, the seventy-seven percent. But the oh, other right. side of it yes. is importantly, yes. as a man that is frugal, if I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't have to pay for the packets of ketchup. I don't have to pay for the cap- packets of mustard. I have to order specifically the phrase "a side of what gravy." Limited. If I go to but if I go uh, down condiment. in the south and down south, when you order biscuits and gravy, if you want extra, you don't say just pass me more. You say, "Can I get a side of gravy?" You use the phrase "side of gravy" whenever you are ordering gravy. Therefore, it is a side. That is an absolutely terrible logical approach. You're essentially saying if you have to pay for it, then it's a side, which also applies to guess what? You have to order a soda and pay for it. You don't get that for free, and that's not a side. Well, it's a drink, but it, it, it doesn't change the, the phrasing, the, the the actual phrasing used. If I walk up to the, the window at Kentucky Fried Chicken and I say, can I get mashed potatoes and then some of the gravy condiment over there? No, like you order the, the phrase is side is of gravy. Is guacamole? A side? Yeah, guac's a side, yeah. 
You're, you just eat straight guacamole with a spoon. Yeah, I eat straight guacamole with a spoon all the time. I also no eat chips. peanut butter with a spoon, too. So if that's the only, if that's the litmus test for it, then peanut butter's a side, too. I Are mean, you eating gravy by itself on Thanksgiving? Are you just sipping gravy? Uh, no, I am not just sipping gravy, but I'm then not it's eating. Not a side, but it's I'm not eating mashed potatoes I'm, without it's gravy. It's a sauce. It's a sauce, and there are sauces that you have to pay extra for. I, I, but I'm not eating mashed potatoes, stuffing, or turkey okay. without gravy. Listen, you just ignored my point, which was a very good one, and I trapped you because you may call it a side of gravy, but that's because of the way they serve it. It's the container, not the substance. It's just like sauces that cost extra because it's a sauce. You you might not like like term condiment, but it's a sauce. Well, okay. I, I mean, uh, uh, okay. It's a sauce, not a side. Therefore, can't you are a sauce. Wrong. Why can a sauce not be a side? Because a sauce is something you put on something else. It is not the thing. I mean, so if I eat gravy by itself on Thanksgiving, if I just spoon gravy, then I yeah, can call send, it a side? post a video of it. No, that's done. Done and done. My gravy's post good. Post a video of you drinking gravy on Thanksgiving, and I will still I'll disagree eat it with, the with spoon. you and make I eat a better spoon, argument. Though. No, no, no. You I don't need to drink it. You drink a drink. Drink gravy. I don't need to drink it. <laughs> drink your juice, show me. <laughs> We have completely gone off the rails. <laughs> Uh, but my gravy is worth eating on its own. I, I mean, I listen. I tell we you, all know you like to hit the sauce, so I, I, it's not going to be that different. That is all. You that to is have a whole lot true. of gravy on Thanksgiving. I might still be drunk from that game last <laughs> night. All right. So, uh, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, Dolphins fans are trying to, you know, find some way to drink their misery after last night, uh, as we watched a less than stellar performance to into from Tua Tungavaloa. That leads to a question about their decision because Tua was benched, and so at that point, Ryan Fitzpatrick came in, and obviously uh, that didn't work out. They didn't get the win. But Mike Tannenbaum, former ESPN NFL, uh, former ESPN front office employee, and uh, our front front office exec, was on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin this morning talking about a message that the Dolphins were sending. I think context here is important. You know, they've won five in a row. And I think one of the things that's been impressive about Coach Flores is the standard is the standard, right? They signed Jordan Howard to a big contract in the offseason. That didn't work out, and they moved on from him. And I think the message they sent yesterday was, look, Tua, you've played well. Not great, but you've played well. You deserve to start. He wasn't playing well yesterday. I think the rush impacted him. And in fairness, Vic Fangio knows how to rush the passer. So that Bronco pass rush, even without Von Miller, has been productive. And I think he said, you know what, in this two-minute drill, Ryan Fitzpatrick's been magical in the past. He may give us the best chance. And I know that may hurt Tua's confidence short term, but it sends the right message to the team, which is I'm going to treat everybody the same, everyone consistently. And he pulled them. And it's interesting, going back to Jay Will's point, which is you look at Doug Peterson, he did do that for Carson Wentz, and we'll see you know, which team is better for it long term. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Sarah, I mean, Tua can get right over the next two weeks. He has the Jets and then the Bengals. So there's the opportunity. But I do think it's a little bit strange to see the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick was very clear about being shocked he was benched. And now you've done some sort of a mini flip-flop. It just feels strange to me. Well, I think the key is that Flores has said immediately – there's no change at the starting position. We just didn't think that he was in the right position in that moment. Fitz was the one to go in. And, and it makes sense because Tua was sacked six times in that game. That's more than all four previous games he played before that. And he was 11 of 20 passing for 83 yards and a touchdown. He couldn't move the ball. He couldn't handle the pressure. And his offensive line wasn't doing him any favors. So they say, listen, there's a guy in Fitzmagic that we know can do this. Let's give ourselves a chance to win this game, get back into practice, work on some of the things that we're seeing Tua struggle with, get him back out there and get to it. I, I don't hate the move. It would have looked a lot better if they'd won the game. Right. If, if it had been a Fitzmagic moment, we would have felt a little better about it. But I do like that he immediately said to his back in the starting position. I don't think it hurts his confidence as much long term as as it is just a reality check that this is the kind of pressure you're going to deal with at the professional level. We need to work on some of the skill sets there. Well, and certainly Tua shouldn't have a confidence issue. I mean, given the background he's had and the success he's had, I can't imagine that being benched in one game is going to suddenly shatter his frail confidence the way we all seem to, to make it with quarterbacks. But uh, he's got to get 
figure it out. And I think you make a really good point, though, when you think about sort of some of the limitations they've even had on the season. And we forget this at this point. We're so deep into it. We forget about the limitations from off seasons and practices. Like, it's possible he's just not all that comfortable with the two-minute drill yet. Like, that's something that they may not have gotten enough reps with him uh, over the course of, of the season so far. But they need to get it right quickly because to the point we were talking about earlier, if I believe, as I do, that a 10-win team could be left out, there's not any wiggle room for this Dolphins team that ends that has the Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, and Bills still left on their schedule. So Tua's got to figure it out quickly. Where are you now on? Because remember, in the very beginning against the Rams, we didn't see much from him. And then it looked great. And then it looked pretty good. And now it's looked bad. So has any of this changed your thought on Tua overall? No, I think it's exactly what you'd expect from a young quarterback in a tough situation, getting a lot of pressure. Um, And the fact that we know he's headed right back in and he's outperformed expectations early on, he'll be fine, especially against the 0-10 Jets. Yeah, that is true. I mean, nothing gets you right faster than going up against the 0-10 Jets. Okay, we promised you a COVID update. I don't want to cut that short. So when we come back, we'll get you everything you need to know about the changing protocols and the rising numbers, especially some significant teams dealing with significant COVID issues that have broken today. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Just tell them to play ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Jason Fitz, Sarah Spain. Sarah, COVID is going to be something that we continually talk about on the show, uh, not only because it's constantly in the news, but it's because it's something that we're both passionate about. Now, there are some new requirements that... Uh, passionate everybody... about covering. Passionate yeah. about covering. That, that's would, well, well passionate said. Passionate about COVID. It's just... Right. The, the the topic is something that we are. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, so some protocols for everybody to know. And these are new protocols that take effect week 12, uh, beginning on Thursday. Players who are not substituting or preparing to enter the field of play and are not wearing their helmets will be required to wear a mask or double layered gaiter while on the sidelines. So you're going to see everybody on the sidelines wearing uh, either their helmets or masks. Coaches who call plays will no longer have the option to wear only a face shield. Instead, they must wear a face mask or double layered gaiter in addition to the face shield. And clubs are required to enforce the mask rules. The memo adds, quote, violations by players and or staff will result in accountability measures being imposed by the club. The league recommends each team designate one or two staff members to ensure client and compliance on the sidelines. So also the number of maximum players number who can travel has been reduced to 62. So uh, that's some of the many uh, protocols that have changed over the course of today. And that's happening because frankly, Sarah, the numbers continue to grow and it's Mm -hmm. impacting teams all over the league. Yeah. 108 tests have returned positive in the past two testing periods. There were 146 positive in the previous 11 So that number is almost equal to 11 periods of testing in just the last two. It's going up. It's Halloween. It's get-togethers. It's cold weather forcing people inside. And it's, frankly, fatigue. And you watch any of these games, Fitz, and your boy Gruden is the worst among them. Mm. Where I was watching, you know, college football uh, and looking Greg Schiano, it it was as if he didn't have one. One of the things that bothers me the most, and I think we all know this by now because we've been wearing masks for months, is getting a good mask— can make all the difference. It doesn't annoy you. It doesn't slip off your nose. It doesn't fall down. If you actually put the the effort in to get one that fits your face, I'm looking at some of these guys and you're professional multi-million dollar coaches. And you have this flimsy, there was a dude wearing a pair of shorts in one of the games. I don't know if you saw that oh, he had yeah. a pair of shorts tied around the back of his head. Like you look at some of the examples around the league uh, that look to be, you know, uh, official team masks. They fit their faces. They stay on. They're easy to wear. And then you look and you're like, why is Gruden wearing like basically a thong on his face? Like, what are we doing here? And I constantly say cheaper than the $1.2 million that the Raiders have been fined would be actually buying yes. masks that fit John Gruden's fit, face. Like yeah. that seems like that would be what something. It yeah. seems like that'd be something that they were capable of. And well, it hasn't happened. And fits just quickly so that we don't run out of time here. I want to mention a couple of things that I haven't heard about much. And I realize these are pretty recent stories, but We now have the Ravens uh, with running backs Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins testing positive for the coronavirus. Um, They just a little bit before a Thursday night game against the Steelers, um, and and they're presumably going to be out. You've got um, the Minnesota Vikings placing Adam Thielen on the reserve COVID-19 list. These are all on a Monday, right after games in which they all played. 
right? So the fact that this is happening right now leaves you wondering the lasting effects on the other teams that these guys were playing and exposed to. And then the big one, the Buffalo Bills, Tommy Sweeney, diagnosed with a heart condition. He's out for the remainder of the season. He has myocarditis, started the year on the pup list with a foot injury, but then was nearing a return when a cardiologist discovered the condition. He was on the reserve COVID list in week seven because he was close to a, a teammate. And now becomes the first NFL player with myocarditis. We know, of course, Eduardo Rodriguez, the Red Sox pitcher we talked about back in the uh, earlier in the year. Um, who knows what the future holds for him? That is a condition that can go away, or it is one that can last. And there could be lasting effects to having a virus in your heart. Add on to that that now we're going to try to start adding basketball to the mix. UConn women's basketball is out for at least 14 days because of a positive test. They're not going to compete on the first four of their previously announced game dates. It feels like we're about to hit a real fever pitch here with the holidays and the weather. And I don't know how sports are necessarily going to be able to keep going unless there are even more drastic changes than merely actually requiring the masks that they've supposedly been requiring all along and haven't really enforced as well as they should. Spain and Fitz brought to you by Shell V Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Sarah, you know, it's the, the bubble concept that we almost forget about. It feels like the NBA mm-hmm. season at this point left us, you know, months ago because uh, it worked in the bubble and not much else has. Now, Major League Baseball figured it out, and I'll give them credit for that. I'm just not sure. Until the last game. Right. Until, uh, exactly. I'm not sure how college basketball, how college football. I mean, one of the things that I've railed on consistently with college football is that I don't know how we're even going to get to the playoff. And then when we get there, what's going to happen? For the NFL, I mean, to think that Adam Thielen, who today is in the news because of his incredible catch yesterday that everybody just keeps looking at over and over and over again. Like you have this great moment in a game one day. And then the next day you realize that depending on how they do their contact tracing, we have no idea what to expect, not only from him, but from everybody else that was anywhere near him in that game. They're taking massive risk every time they walk on the field, which they get. They're they're professionals, fine. But I have no idea what it's going to take to shut down teams, to shut down seasons at this point. But this is only going to get worse for every single team to work on. So there there becomes a very basic level of okay, more more rules is good because it's keeping everybody at least on some track to possibly be better uh, when it comes to safety. Yeah, I agree with you. If we're going to keep having the this charade of uh, ERs filling up and hospital beds being unavailable and, and people's livelihoods being compromised and people's family members passing away. If we're going to ignore all that to continue having sports when they aren't a necessity and they aren't essential, um, then at the very least, we need to try to make it as safe as possible. And unfortunately, um, I think you look at Dabo Sweeney as just a perfect example. Like If not everybody's in on it, you're going to endanger everyone else more than ever in my lifetime. The idea of we're all in this together is 100% true. And cynically, it's incredibly frustrating to have other people's ignorance and and stupidity and desire to be combative about science and medicine um, affect the rest of us. That's why we're still stuck here months later with no progress and things worse than ever. And in the sports world, I think fits a lot of these people just have really... um, you know, their their expectations for their own safety based on being peak level in shape young people um, means that they are more likely to, to not have a negative reaction. But we've seen enough athletes, whether with myocarditis or weeks of being downed by this virus, um, to, to know that they're not immune. And also everybody around them, all the staff members and coaches and family members and friends that are going to be exposed to any of these people who are being forced to g- gather in large groups in ways that we're not allowed anywhere else in the country. Um we're going to have to reconcile with that if things get significantly worse and we see actual deaths in the in, in sports or just this continued spread that is in any way traced back to us deciding it was worth and necessary. Uh, the, the, I mean, I hate to even talk about it, but it's an important part of it. Like the concept of somebody dying is I think one of the things that would eventually cause everybody to, to stop and say, wait, 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 wait. I mean, that, it's going to take that, something like that. The, the, if you're the NFL, though, you've still got to be figuring out what are you doing? Like, what is the actual plan? Because I can't imagine going, you know, we talked about earlier how 2020 would be for the Browns to win 10 games but miss uh, the playoffs. The only thing more 2020 than that would be for a team to win 10 or 11 games, get to the AFC or NFC championship game, and then have close contact tracing, hold everybody out for mm-hmm. a period of time. And that's like that. Right, you've got it. You've got a Bucks playoff game with no Tom Brady. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? 
I mean, yeah. and and then realistically, is the league prepared to handle that? How are they going to deal with that? Like, uh, all of that feels very – for the Super Bowl, I understand they could take everybody one place. They could put everybody in a bubble, and they could just cross their fingers and pray. But what are you doing for the divisional playoffs? What are you doing right. even for week seven? Like, the final week what of this season. What are you doing season? for March Madness in Indianapolis? <laughs> and when, <I> mean. <laughs> when Rick Pitino is, like, supposedly the voice of reason, that's when yeah. you know things have gone off the rails. When Pitino's saying start later and do May Madness so the vaccine can have opportunity, I mean – I don't know what the solution is, but I, I do think it's important to at least acknowledge because a lot of people have sort of uh, constantly used the, hey, we haven't seen this. Go- it hasn't been out of control in the NFL. And I think, unfortunately, where we are now is it's getting out of control and it's going to take bigger names being uh, victim to this before I think people stop and necessarily like listen and think about what's happening and think about what's at risk. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, there's the mantra, the sort of, you know, modus operandi in sports is being there for your team and being tough guy. And and so I haven't heard a ton of players and, and even the ones who have opted out are sort of just off to the side. We maybe heard from them when they first opted out and that was it. Um, we're, we're now focused on, on the guys that are playing. Um, you know, you aren't hearing a lot of athletes or coaches say that that they don't want to participate or that they're afraid of what might happen. Um, and in some ways, you know, you could consider that admirable. Um, you could also argue that that mindset um, in, is endangers everyone because there's no one really standing up and saying this isn't worth it. Well, especially when you see guys like jumping into the crowd after they score, like what, yeah. what are we doing? And then I mean, fans, there's that great shot that someone sent me over the weekend. Uh, you know, there's a player jumps into the stands and is being hugged right up face to face with fans whose masks are down, giving them, the, you know, the chin diaper. <laughs> the chin diaper is such a, I don't know where that came from, but I'm, so I love ironic. it. And I'm stealing that from you because that is where we are on 99% of it. And, you know, realistically, it's. It's just that's the risk, and I feel it every Saturday. You know, when I sit here and, and watch college football all day to prep for the shows we do on Saturdays, I, I constantly watch the people that are in the stands and think, okay, you wore your mask to get in, and then you took it down so you could be in the football environment, which defeats the entire purpose. At some point, we have to understand that it's not just about what it takes to get in the building. It's also about what it takes to keep everybody healthy and safe, and that seems to be the part of this that's lost. By the way, the Bucks have scored. It's now tied 7-7 to as the Bucks take on the Rams on Monday Night Football. You can catch all of that fun action on ESPN right now. But coming up, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, they'll keep breaking down all the action for Monday Night Football and the rest of the world of sports. Thanks so much for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on Eat ESPN. your gravy! <laughs> Drink it! Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.